Welcome back to the Doggy Juice Pod, changing the way you think as a sports better, baby. This is episode number 35, Friday, March 1st, 2019, and ladies and gentlemen, March Madness is upon us, baby. Everybody's ready to go. He's ready to go. I'm ready to go. And you're ready to go. I'm so excited to do these podcasts over the next few weeks during the big dance. We're going to be bringing on multiple guests to deep dive into the conferences and the seeds, and I might even do some doggy-tology. We'll see. But this is hands down my favorite sports month of the entire year, and in my opinion, the next several weeks and few months are the absolute best time as a sports fan. We've got March Madness and College Hoops. We've got the stretch run of the regular season and the NBA and the NHL. We have the start of baseball season. Golf is entering the forefront, and this year with the new golf format. We have the Players' Championship in a few weeks, followed by the Masters, and even football is still around as the NFL draft is approaching. So there's so much going on, and with that, there are going to be a shitload of edges to find for us handicappers out there. Our job is to do the work along the way and find them, so let's get to work. In this episode, I will jump into some quick hitters and then dive into some college basketball talk. Let's get to going. Okay, let's get to going. As I just said, we're entering that special time of year where everything is going on. I've always felt that March and April into May and finishing with the NBA and NHL playoffs is the single greatest sports period of the entire year. The only problem is that there's no football, so not totally 100% sure on that, but we do have the Alliance of American Football going on, and we also have the NFL Draft coming up, as I said earlier, and then the Combine's going on, so we really have football, you know, 365 days a year, and... You could also say that you know October and November are the best uh, months of the year for sports. I wouldn't really argue with you there but because you've got a bit of everything at that point. But you really just can't beat March. And for handicapping purposes, it's not just the big dance, but also the other postseason tournaments like the NIT and the CBI uh, for me that I just really love diving into and watching. And one can argue you can actually find great value, um, greater value, especially in those smaller tournaments. So I, I think people who judge for betting on those smaller tournaments are the biggest squares in the entire world. It's literally the exact opposite of what their feeble, ignorant minds think. Betting on the tournament in the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight and Final Four, where you know most Joes are going to bet, that's fun, but there just aren't really that many edges at that point in those games. So you're more or less just flipping coins some of the time in those games by that stage. So the real value often lies in these smaller, lesser-watched games with softer lines. It's important to know that moving forward. And for me, if there's an edge and if it's you know if it's positive EV, I'm going to invest, and so should you. Oscar Steen last weekend on Best Director. That was one of the most interesting uh, sports betting-related stories that I've come across in a long time. And it all kind of happened just on the day of, last Sunday, the day of the Academy Awards. Yorgos Lanthimos, the director of The Favorite, he was about 40 to 50 to 1 on the best director list um, since they opened the lines and for the past several weeks and months. But all of a sudden he saw crazy steam on him and he was bet from 50 to 1, 40 to 1, down to 3 to 1 in some places. And, and even some places took him off the board. And this was crazy because, I mean, obviously, and I brought this up on the podcast, um, Alfonso Cuaron, who ended up winning the award for directing Roma. Uh, he was a heavy favorite. It was looked like a lock, a lock of the century, and ended up ended up winning. But he was about I don't know, like minus two, minus two thousand, minus twenty five hundred. I mean, you had to lay like twenty five bucks, twenty bucks just to win one dollar on him for most of the time the market was offering that um, 
that prop, but then all of a sudden, all that steam came in on Yorgos, and it, he got bet down to three to one. And you could find—I was able to find Corona minus one sixty-five, minus one seventy-five, even minus one eighty-five in some shops, uh, just a few hours before the actual Oscar. So I was able to get down on ten to one on Yorgos when I saw the steam. So I was able to scrape out a small little profit on that one. But um, it was just a crazy story because usually when stuff like that happens uh, in these award shows or like in um, when you see, you know, there's obviously small limits involved, but when you see steam come in on stuff like that on these props, um, like a Super Bowl prop, for example, people know something, and usually that's going to be the winning side. But this, in this situation, so much money came in on Yorgos that you know he figured he was going to win, but he didn't, and Corona still got the money. So it's like, what the hell happened here? Obviously, there was some sort of, and this question has not been answered. There's some sort of movement that came from a lot of money, obviously being bet down and there's a lot of theories going involved or going around now and i feel like the one i'm kind of most inclined to believe is this was this might have been made up by an offshore uh, sports book there might have been some kind of steam like because you saw guys open up accounts on some of these sites at max bet you know whatever it was i think it was 500 max bet most places on the offshores um but they'd un- they'd open up accounts and unload the max on yorgos and People were like, what the hell? Where's this money coming from? So I'm hearing theories that it might have actually been um, an offshore sportsbook or some kind of group that could have been involved with the sportsbook, some shady shit going on, where they kind of drove down this fake steam or, or on, uh, on Yorgos just to create value. I don't know why they would do that, but there's there's a few different theories out there. It's just an interesting story. And you really just thought the whole time that um, even the days leading up to the award show, Yorgos wasn't even really considered a serious contender. It was really just going to be between Corona and with an outside chance of Spike Lee. Everyone thought Spike Lee might be the only one who could potentially take it, as I touched on, too, on the podcast last week with Craig, um, the Oscars preview. But all of a sudden, this money came in on Yorgo. So if you were able to react to that market, you could have locked in a profit, uh, obviously, with the assumption that the winner was going to be Yorgos or Corona. But I've never seen a move like that, and I've um, I mean, it's rare to see a move like that. I have, but I've never seen a move like that where the move did not end up being the winner. So it was just weird. And looking into the process with the, you know, Ernst and Young has, I think, two accountants who actually know the actual results uh, on the day of. So and it's something where if they said something, you know, you can only get down so much on this. And obviously, this was a situation you saw last week where people were obviously putting money and following the steam, but it wasn't enough to actually cash the ticket. So it's just an interesting situation and something that is very rare to see. And we probably will never get the answer to exactly what the hell was behind that line move. (laughs) Earlier this week, it was announced that Caesars Entertainment Corporation has bought a stake in DraftKings. Uh, This is a pretty big development because Caesars has properties in 14 states and obviously they have a huge presence in Nevada. Um, DraftKings moved out of Nevada uh, recently, but they still have their, they have headquarters there. Johnny Avello moved to DraftKings. He was he worked for Steve Wynn for many years, um, and so he's he's over there. He's got a big presence, and I expect more of these types of deals moving forward as the sports betting gold rush continues to unfold upon us. Um, but it's just an interesting move, and I think DraftKings there's a big move for them partnering up with Caesars, and now they'll be ready to go. And you'll probably see DraftKings Sportsbooks in Nevada, in Las Vegas, very shortly. <laughs> Zion Williamson. It's still the big story. Uh, it was going on last week. It was actually just starting to record the Oscars preview pod with Craig last week when Zion went down uh, the first 35 seconds of the 
the game against UNC, it's still a big story, and it's still going to have a massive impact on the way the big dance will play out and how people perceive it playing out when brackets come out in a few weeks. I personally think he's going to come back and play, but honestly, I can't blame him for not coming back and wanting to preserve himself. You know, he's guaranteed that number one pick pretty much. Um, but this has brought up a much bigger issue, obviously, of college players not being paid. I'm not going to touch on that right now but because um, I do have certain feelings that way. But um, for our purposes here, which is making money, how does the absence of Zion impact the Duke power rating? There's a lot of market disagreement to this, as we've seen already, um, the games they've played since his injury. But I think the consensus is that he's worth about four to five points to the line, which is insane when you consider how good of a team uh, Duke is already. Usually, you know, you see a player mean a lot more to the line when they don't have as good of a team around them. But this team's number one team in the country, and they have you know, studs like R.J. Barrett, who's going to probably go number two in the draft, and yet he's still worth four to five points to the line, which is crazy. So when you're valuing certain players, you simply don't just look at how bad or good the players. You also have to look at how good the replacement players are. But in Zion's case, he's about 10 points per 100 possessions better than anyone else on the Duke team when you look at his box score plus minus numbers. And if you look at their points per possession numbers when he's on the court versus off the court, it is eye-popping. And it's honestly like a complete outlier when you consider the history of top players on top teams, how much this guy's worth. So some handicappers out there, like I know Dr. Bob Stoll, uh, he thinks that Zion's actually worth upwards of five to seven points when you consider those um, points per possession numbers, but uh, which I think is just insane. But it's really hard to disagree when you look at those numbers. So Zion's absence or presence in the tournament is absolutely going to matter for Duke's power rating moving forward, and even more so, I think, than some others might think. Um, but we've also seen, and I wanted to bring this up, uh, we've seen the fallen star phenomenon or the fallen star theory in play. It's like Exhibit A this past week with Duke and Zion, with Zion's absence. They beat Zer- Syracuse in their first game uh, back with Zion, or sorry, without Zion, and uh, I think they're five-point favorites. They, they covered this, but I think they won that game by 10 points last weekend. But it was also a revenge spot. You have to keep that in mind. And Syracuse obviously was very distracted because Coach Chip Beheim, um ran over and he hit someone and killed someone uh, on the on the highway last week. So there was a lot of distraction there. But basically the, the um, idea behind the fallen star theory is that a team will step up when a star goes down like that. It's human nature to kind of gather, you know, circle the wagons. Everyone kind of wins one for him, steps up, and win that first game back, maybe the first one or two games back. But then it starts to sink in. Um, well, there's a couple reasons why they kind of fall off after that initial game or two. And I think a big part of that, obviously, is it starts to sink in that, you know, the star player's gone. Maybe it takes an emotional impact on the players. But also teams see and they're, they're able to game plan for you better because they see how you played without that player. So that initial game, you know, the team preparing for, for Duke, like last week, Syracuse, they didn't have much to go off of in preparing for Duke without Zion. But then Virginia Tech this week when they played Duke and they beat them as five-point underdogs at home, you saw Virginia Tech was able to look at that Duke-Syracuse game on Saturday in order to game plan for Duke without Zion. So I think there's that aspect as well. Maybe even players you know, working that much harder to pick up the slack start to be more difficult for them. There's a lot of reasons behind why this fallen star theory works, but moving forward, keep that in mind. Whenever you see a, a star go down and he's going to be out for a long time, that first game back, people are inclined to think that the team's going to do pretty shitty, but a lot of long-term data backs this up, that the team does very well for the first game or two, but then over then they hit that plateau, or they you know they hit the valley and plateau in the valley, I guess is the best way to put it. But um, 
afterwards. So a stretch of games afterwards. So right now I'm just not even I'm Duke's in the drawer, so to speak. I'm not really looking to play on or against them at, uh, right now while this plays out. But I do think fading Duke could be worthwhile the next few games moving forward. But uh, it's it's really hard to. To do that, obviously, because Duke's such a good team. And also, quick sidebar here, Jack White for Duke, he is 0 for 28 on his last 28 three-point attempts. Oi. Um, but anyway, Duke will be a contender with or without Zion, and his presence, obviously, will make them prohibitive favorites. <laughs> One step forward and two steps back with Major League Baseball, sending a formal request to the Nevada Gaming commission to prevent betting on spring training this week are you shitting me fortunately nevada uh, nevada gaming told them to pound sand but does major league baseball know what the fuck they're doing here it's astonishing to me honestly do they understand that legalized regulated sports betting helps keep any shenanigans above board do they understand that doing so will curb the black market people are going to bet this anyway so if major league baseball if major league baseball got what they wanted here it would just drive the wagering to offshore websites in the black market. Guys are going to bet this no matter what. So I just don't think that they really understand. Like, Also, the limits are a lot lower in these games, too, in the spring training games. And I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise that Al Leiter was their rep last year during sports betting hearings right after Paspo was overturned. Uh, Al Leiter was famous, and you can dig up this clip. It's the most laughable clip I've ever seen. It's actually a video clip of him in front of some committee, but he's basically saying how, you know, Oh, all it takes for a pitcher is, uh, you know, it's really easy for a pitcher to throw a ball or a strike with the first pitch of the game, but his friends can get down $500,000, you know, going casino to casino, getting down on this stupid, meaningless prop that doesn't have anything to do with the actual game result. Like, that was so backwards and wrong. For starters, you can't get down that type of money on uh, on those types of props. You know, you're looking at, you know, like very small limits at those. And sports books, they talk anyway. Uh, operators. So obviously, if a lot of steam started coming on on to throw a ball or a strike on the first pitch, uh, they would know about it rather quickly. You would not be able to get down that type of money. So just completely clueless. Um, and these guys, I mean, it's it's they're naive, but they're and they're uninformed. But and that's sickening to me when when you uh, consider that. But the thing that kills me the most about this whole thing with the major major league baseball is major league baseball is in the dumps. They're losing the younger fans, and yet they want to take away sports betting and think that the interest is going to stay the same. Outside of some of the bigger East Coast cities, that there just isn't that much interest in baseball anymore, and these old relics that are in charge are just refusing to adjust. Obviously, we've we finally got a clock in between innings um, and some other cha- rule changes that baseball's finally starting to embrace, but these old farts uh, that are in charge, it's just laughable to me. The sport should be embracing sports betting to keep itself relevant with new millennial bettors who can't sit through a three-minute at-bat, let alone a three-and-a-half-hour game. Uh, but instead, Major League Baseball is coming out and asking to shut down betting on their spring training games that they deem to be exhibitions, yet they're still making money off of sales. So I, it's just it's mind-boggling to me. Major League Baseball, get your shit together. Get out of this bullshit. Uh, Major League Baseball is out to lunch. All right, let's go to college basketball talk now. Let's begin with our top 10 power-rated college basketball teams according to the Doggy Juice model. Oh, yes, hello! Bingo, bongo! Numero uno, Duke. Now, obviously, this comes with the caveat that 
Zion would have to be on the team. Um, I think that I moved them down to about number three. It actually levels the playing field, uh, but I moved them down to level or to number three without Zion. So it would be a close three pack of teams. It would be really close. Duke would be really close, but I would have a number three without Zion. With Zion, a clear number one. Number two is still Gonzaga, and I think they're up to a slight number one without Zion on Duke. Killian Tilly looks slated to come back later this month uh, during the tournaments, which is huge for them. I think Gonzaga, this really could be their year. I've been saying it all along. Number three, Virginia, up to a slight number two without Duke on Zion, but basically right there without Zion. These three teams are all neck and neck, according to my ratings. Uh, but they're, Virginia and Gonzaga, are very, it's very tight between these two teams, so Virginia's right at number three. Number four, the team that's moved up the most, and I've, I called this one uh, about a month or two ago, Kentucky. They've been moving right up. Uh, these freshman-laden Calipari teams, as they often do, they start out the year without any chemistry, trying to learn the system, learn, you know, they're growing kids. They're 18-year-old kids. These are all stud, five-star blue chips, and these guys are starting to mesh. Kentucky can make a lot of noise this month. Number five, North Carolina. Number six, Michigan State, and it's really neck and neck between UNC and Michigan State at this point, and they're actually not too far off of Kentucky. We're starting to get this all bunched up here. Then we have a little bit of a drop-off, and this team at number seven is the largest faller the past few weeks for me, and I think the Vegas power ratings agree with this as well. Tennessee, I'm worried about this team right now. They're looking more like a number two seed. Number eight is Michigan. Obviously, in March with a John Beeline coach team, they can definitely be uh, a factor and their defense is fantastic but number nine the team that I really think is starting to heat up at the perfect time Texas Tech they're number one in defensive efficiency I love Chris Beard as their coach this is my favorite value team for a final four run I think that you're going to find um, hopefully I mean I, they could even be worth a look in the big 12 tournament as well I rode them pretty deep last year as well uh, they made it to the, to the elite eight was making money on them last year I think they just they're your your prototypical March team, well-coached, great defense. So I think that team's going to make some noises in March as well, depending on their draw. And number 10, Purdue, uh, that team's really starting to gel at the right time. They're going to be a tough out because they have all the they have a formula for a successful March team as well, led by uh, their stud point guard. So um, honorable mentions, uh, Kansas, Virginia Tech. Um, there's such a logjam, though, uh, between 10 and 20 that I think the line – I would put on a neutral between my 10th-ranked team, Purdue, and my 20th-ranked team, LSU. The line would only be about two to two and a half points on a neutral in that situation. So there's a huge logjam of teams. It's going to be really interesting uh, moving forward the next few weeks. And when we get that draw on Selection Sunday, that's that's really going to determine uh, how I how far I think teams are going to go. Obviously, that you know, goes without saying there, but the draw is going to mean everything and how teams match up with certain teams on their draw. But those are my top 10 teams. <laughs> All right, so let's dive a little bit deeper into some college hoops talk. March Madness is here. Selection Sunday is actually a week later than usual this year. It's in just over two weeks, two weeks from this upcoming Sunday on St. Patrick's Day, March 17th. So over the next few weeks, we're going to see... Um, well, the next few days, we're going to see the last few conference games, regular season games being played, and then it's conference tournament time, baby. Some of the smaller conference tournaments will begin this upcoming Monday and Tuesday. 
So for me, and I think most, if not all, professional handicappers will agree with me here, some of the best value you can find in the entire calendar year, not just in college basketball, but in all of sports betting, is during these next few weeks. Some even argue that the actual NCAA tournament itself does not offer much value at all because it attracts so much more action, especially later in the tournament. And I agree with that, but the edges you will find in conference tournament weeks, these next few weeks, are some of the best you can uncover if you do your homework. So historically for me, my best few weeks of the college basketball season are always these next few weeks, it seems, especially the two weeks of conference tournaments leading up to Selection Sunday. So next few weeks, that's where the college basketball bread is buttered. So in order to maximize the chance of putting together a winning portfolio every day during the regular season that will yield profit in the long run, my daily process, I opening numbers cough or they, uh, they come out the day before usually, and those are at lower limits. So for most people, that's not an issue, but you see a lot of market activity very early the next morning usually, and then the big moves happen once the limits are raised. That's, you know, depending on the timing, that's, that's early in the morning. Um, sometimes, though, you could find value later in the day if the lines move too far or in special circumstances when the public is getting involved right before game time, like, for example, the public driving up, uh, driving a favorite up on the spread to create that extra value on the dog right before tip-off. But for the most part, especially college basketball, the early bird gets the worm for sure. But things are a little bit different during these upcoming college uh, basketball conference tournaments. Teams, they're going to be playing on back-to-back-to-back days or even more than that. So adjusting on the fly is key. And sometimes these lines won't even be posted until you know a few hours before game time Uh just for the conference tournaments alone, especially the higher-profile ones where teams are playing back-to-back-to-back days. Um, So on top of that, right now it's more important than ever to gauge the motivation of certain teams as conference regular season games come to a close. Um, Do certain teams need to win games to increase their chances of an at-large bid or to win their conference or to set themselves up for a buy in their conference postseason tournaments? Like in the Big Ten, they actually have two sets of, you know, the top four teams get two buys. And then there's another pack of teams that get one by, and then the bottom four teams don't get any by. So there's a lot of considerations at play there. And another aspect to consider is that these are college kids we're talking about at the end of the day. So with their conference tournaments comes a new belief for many of them. It's a new hope. And maybe it's unrealistic for a team who shat the bet all season to reel off four straight wins and four straight days and uh, punch their ticket to the big dance. But try telling that to an 18-year-old college kid. It happens every year. We see some teams come out of nowhere, create some magic. It's what March Madness is all about. So if you're really in tune with some of these teams and their motivation could be sky high, even though they have really no chance at all. And sometimes, you know, bouncing of the ball and just randomness, you can get a team make a run that uh, they, they just don't see coming, comes out of nowhere. So as you prepare for these conference tournaments, one obvious aspect to consider is the location of the tournaments as they often change every year. So, for example, the American Conference Tourney, uh, that's in Memphis this year, on Memphis's home uh, home floor. So huge advantage to Penny Hardaway's squad there. So pay special attention to things like that, the venue, team's familiarity with the venue and their travel. Um, one of the things that I like to get involved with the past few years is Arch Madness, the Missouri Valley uh, tournament, the unders in those games, the market the past couple years has always pounded it uh, to the under uh, when the numbers are released. And the idea 
behind that is some of these games are played at bigger stadiums that have big backdrops um, behind the hoop, and that affects player vision and impacts uh, shooting, impacts their ability to knock down shots. Obviously, it's not like a, a total perfect science, but it does impact the numbers in these games. And then there's also the aspect of the players playing at different hours on their body clocks than they're used to playing that gets them out of, out of rhythm. And, and March Madness games, and including these conference games, they're more possession-by-possession possession based. Teams will slow it down more, really focusing on each possession. So that's always really good for an under. The market knows about this, though. People aren't stupid. So that's going to be reflective in the line most of the time. But if you are prudent and you're able to get at these numbers early, you could set yourself up. So the past couple of years, it's been very profitable betting the unders in Arch Madness down in St. Louis for the Missouri Valley. And Sharps have been pounding Missouri Valley unders recently a lot anyway, and they've been cashing, especially in games involving Missouri State and Loyal Chicago. If you look at some of their numbers, it's it's pretty insane, Missouri State especially. Um, the the market's really trying to adjust to that team. They're slow, so fucking slow. So these Missouri Valley unders, I think it's something I'm really going to be interested in when Arch Madness comes very soon and something you should look out for as well. Um, but that's probably going to do it. Yeah, that is going to do it for this episode. It's been a good little short one for you, but these next few weeks, I'm really going to dive into it as March Madness is in full bloom. Uh, I'll be bringing on some guests this month to talk about it and, uh, breaking down the big dance after selection Sunday. We are entering one of those busiest times of the year on the sports calendar and my personal favorite time of the year to find edges on the betting board. So good luck to you all. Really excited to dive deep into March Madness with all of you. College Hoops, baby. This is it. Let's fucking do it, baby. All right. I will see you all next week. Enjoy your weekend, and good luck on your bets. Doggy Juice out.